Hello everyone and welcome to Unorthodoxy. In the previous episode, I took a look at some ideas around understanding creativity, especially around the concepts of novelty and limits and the very important idea that creativity is fundamentally about revaluating values. And then I landed up with the idea that the foundation of creativity is not novelty, as many would expect that it is, but a particular kind of understanding that falls into the category of insight. That, as promised, is what I'm going to talk about in this episode. We'll start, shall we, with a feeling. Imagine you find yourself in the midst of a conversation and you're trying to figure something out. Quite out of the blue, the person you're talking to says something that manages to express exactly what you've been thinking so perfectly and yet you were unable to articulate until now. Something just clicks into place. The words, the meaning, everything just fits perfectly. Maybe you've been struggling for years to distill a range of thoughts and yet your conversation partner has just done it for you. It's as if an unseen but deeply felt tension has been released. Welcome to the experience of an insight. This is, I believe, the real foundation of creativity. It's not the novelty of the idea we're looking for, but a unique kind of access to the world, a way of putting things together. This is what insights allow. Sometimes the insight can be related to a non-verbal thing, the way a particular shape or shade of colour enhances an otherwise dead painting, say, or the way a particular collection of notes makes a piece of music more beautiful. But my focus here, given that I'm working with a verbal medium, is on insights that can be put into words. By definition, an insight is the capacity to gain an accurate and deep understanding of someone or something. The word insight is synonymous with the word epiphany, a moment of sudden revelation or realization. Creativity tends to thrive on associative memory, that is, on the mind's ability to generate connections between things. Associative memory is that mental process that allows us to see connections between seemingly unconnected things. But the magic really happens with those connections that are uniquely meaningful. Anyone can lump random thoughts together, but the meaningful connections take effort and time and patience. Insight finding requires conditions of thought that allow for this effort and time and patience. In fact, associative memory in general, and so creativity too, is hampered by three things in particular. Fear, unhappiness, and perfectionism. Fear chains us to the overly familiar, to the cliches I spoke about in the previous podcast. Unhappiness robs us of a desire to seek out insights and new connections. And perfectionism amounts to rigidity and a lack of curiosity, a failure to allow for connections to be made. So the conditions for discovering insights tend to be the opposite of fear, unhappiness and perfectionism, namely courage contentment and openness. Such things are helped by habits that foster curiosity, such as gratitude and attention to life in all of its marvelous variety, as well as an openness to new things and new inputs. We must be willing to ask what if, and we must be able to pursue answers to that same question, what if. 
Interestingly, having taught people about creative thinking for quite a while now, I have found that ungrateful people tend not to be very creative, or at least tend not to be optimally creative. Critical and overly self-critical people tend not to be optimally creative either. This is not to say that we must all become flaky in our mindsets. Open-mindedness doesn't mean never making up your mind, as I explore more in the next episode, but being open to at least entertaining connections that could be fruitful. Boundaries and limits must come into play, as we will continue to see. Of course, it's all very well to say that creativity relies upon insight, but what does it even mean to come up with an insight? The philosopher and theologian Bernard Lonergan offers that insight has 10 characteristics, and just noticing these will help us on our way. First, insight happens quickly when the conditions are right. I've already dealt with three of these conditions, courage, contentment, and openness. Second, insight collects and collates. It puts together what was not assumed to be together. This is crucial, so I'm going to say it again. Insight collects and collates. It puts together what was not assumed to be together. Insight, in other words, relies heavily on a fresh juxtaposition that fits together. Third, insight creates a moment of decision, a choice in its creator and in its audience. In other words, insight offers a direction. It is not nebulous and vague at all. It requires something both of the creator and the audience. Fourth, insight sees the universal in the particular and it is true for the individual and the group. This is to say that insight aims at the big picture but it applies or can apply at a very concrete level. You can tell you've had an insight when it contains more than itself in a way when the inside is bigger than the outside. Fifth, insight relies on understanding and memory and is naturally cumulative. Basically, the wider and greater your understanding and the longer your memory, the more insightful you are supposed to be. People who have put in the hours, have, say, read widely and understood things deeply, tend to be more insightful. People who don't put in the work, who live at the surface, well, the level of creativity of such people is not going to be as impressive, unfortunately. The last few characteristics of insight are pretty self-explanatory. So, sixth, an insight grasps a pattern and serves a purpose. Seventh, an insight is a permanent acquisition. Eighth, an insight is a personal acquisition. Ninth, an insight can be resisted and avoided. And finally, tenth, there is a disproportion between the before and the after of an insight. This last idea should make sense to anyone who has had an epiphany. An insight tends to be a bit like turning the light on in a dark room. Thus the cliché of a light bulb going on when you have a creative idea. Insight illuminates. The difference between before and after is significant, or at least it is impossible not to notice. There is a lot going on here, but I want to home in on that idea I already noted as crucial. Insight collects and collates. It puts together what was not assumed to be together. A great example of this is found in stories that have a twist. This can be taken as a paradigm example of what an insight is all about. You read the story and it sets up several elements in the story that don't quite fit together. 
The story makes sense, of course, but everything feels incomplete. All the different elements point in different directions. It is coherent, but it doesn't quite feel finished. And then suddenly that last little piece in the puzzle is revealed and everything clicks into place. I think of an absolutely marvelous novel by the Japanese author Keigo Higashino called The Devotion of Suspect X. The story starts with the reader knowing full well who killed whom and then follows the investigation afterwards. When I first read the story, I thought, well, that's odd. I know who the killer is. I know who is helping the killer to cover up the dirty deed. And yet I have no idea how the detective is going to solve the crime, given the details of the crime that emerge. And then the twist happens. I'm not going to spoil it for you. The book is essential reading for anyone who likes a good twist. The point should be clear, though, that even while any good twist feels new, the point is less its novelty than the fact that it puts together what was previously regarded as separate. The creativity stems less from a radical change from previous conditions than from the way previous considerations are put together. Again, creativity rests on understanding. The most creative people, it turns out, are those who know how to interpret things well. Hopefully my mentioning this will free you from the tedious job of always trying to be original. Originality is in many ways a red herring in the world of creativity. Creativity is able to spot patterns, to notice the unique features of things and the unique relationships between things. This is a further reason for why cliches stand as my example of the opposite of creativity. There is no insight in a cliché because nothing is interpreted in a fresh way. For this reason, I think one of the best starting points for developing creativity is to develop one's interpretive ability. It helps, for instance, to reflect on the meanings of movies or fairy tales or myths. This is not such an easy thing to do, so I'll just begin the exploration here and then in the next two episodes explore a bit further what it means to develop this skill. And to begin the exploration, I'm going to distill insight finding to two steps. Seeing the pattern, then naming the pattern. Here's a story worth considering. It's a strange story, mind you, but I'm going to use it to explore how to look for insight. I mean the English folktale about the baker's daughter. As the story goes, the baker's daughter is stingier than any Scrooge, and so when an old beggar woman arrives at the door asking for food, the miserly baker's daughter offers to give her only a minuscule piece of dough. The old woman is saddened to be met with such a cold response, but she agrees that a little is better than nothing. So the baker's daughter places that tiny piece of dough alongside the other loaves baking in the oven and waits a short while until it is ready. When she opens the oven, she sees to her bewilderment that the small piece of dough has grown substantially larger than all the other loaves. I'm not giving you that, she angrily tells the old woman. She places another even tinier piece of dough into the oven, but the very same thing happens. The result is another loaf of bread bigger than the others. So, she tries again, forcing the old woman to wait even longer, but the dough reserved for the beggar again grows larger than the other loaves. The baker's daughter knows something is up, but she cannot understand it. 
Suddenly, the old woman removes her bedraggled cloak to reveal that she is, in fact, a fairy and not a poor woman. Why, who, who, says the baker's daughter. Who, who is all you'll be saying from now on, the fairy exclaims before turning the baker's daughter into an owl. Now, if you are like most people, you will hear or read a story like this and ask, what in the world is going on here? On the surface, it's just a very strange story. There are events in it, but they feel rather disconnected. But when things don't make immediate sense, this is good news for any creative. This means that it is an opportunity to look for an insight. Insight, after all, will pull all of this together, where we understand what was not immediately understood or immediately obvious. Insight will allow us to see that the seemingly random events of the story are all connected. It will allow us to see the universal in the particular, and vice versa. No doubt many insights are possible here, and maybe one strikes you that I don't arrive at or discuss here, but let's look at the story bit by bit while keeping an eye out for patterns. What is a pattern? Well, very simply, it is where there is repetition, and then perhaps a bit of variation. So we have two women, for starters, there is a pattern, but then there is some variation. One is old, the other is young. One is asking, the other is giving, albeit reluctantly. Maybe this is just a sign that they have different worldviews. The one, we soon learn, is magical, and the other is not. So the story is setting up some juxtapositions, and that's a good thing to be working with. Juxtapositions, especially of an unusual kind, usually mean that insight is imminent. Now, let's look at the rest of the story. The baker's daughter puts a tiny piece of dough in the oven. It grows to become a large loaf of bread. Then she repeats this and the same thing happens. So she does it again and her expectation is thwarted a third time. There's the pattern too. And this pattern can be named along the lines of the concept of expectation. Finding concepts to help us name patterns is very helpful. The expectation the baker's daughter has is that the small thing in front of her, the dough, will remain approximately the same size as when it is put into the oven. But it doesn't. Expectation is subverted. Then again and again. That's a nice little juxtaposition right there. It's clear that the story has a lot to do with expectations. Then, a significant variation on the theme appears. The expectation that the woman at the door is just an old beggar, that is also thwarted. She is, like the dough in the oven, more than she seemed to be. So, there's a process here, too. Expectation and reality just don't line up for the baker's daughter. Is this pattern repeated again? Well, yes it is. But this time, the miserly baker's daughter turns into an owl, which is not something that happens every day. Why an owl? Well, we'll get to an answer soon enough. So this is what we have. Small dough turns into a large loaf three times. Then an old woman turns into a fairy. Then a young woman turns into an owl. I hope you can feel that we are getting close to an insight, but remember that an insight brings things together. It gathers and unifies, and while we have a pattern, we don't yet have the unity, even if we happen to be close to it. 
So this brings me to the next step, naming the pattern. Of course, I'm aware that an epiphany may have already hit you, so maybe you don't need to listen on, but perhaps your epiphany is different from my own, so that is possible too. Figuring out how to name patterns amounts to answering questions about the pattern. What is consistent? What is different? What unifies the pattern in its consistency and difference? These questions are really about figuring out how to frame the pattern itself. In fact, one way to understand creativity is as a way of framing problems in an optimal and interesting way. Unfortunately, we live in a culture of literalists and literalism, so asking deeper questions isn't necessarily going to come naturally. But chances are good that you are more than capable of seeing the pattern and seeing what it means too. A little practice will easily get anyone into the groove. Digging a little deeper, we notice that the dialogue between expectation and reality is filtered through the desires of the characters, especially the baker's daughter. What the girl wants is not what she gets. Why? Because she is not really the one calling the shots, despite the fact that she thinks she is. Also, what she wants is fundamentally different from the realities she is confronted with. In this story, the fairy is in charge. Right from the start, really, the beggar at the door is there to give the baker's daughter a gift, depending, of course, on what she does with her request for food. Remember that it's not just the baker's daughter having her expectations upended. Our expectations are thwarted too. The story is, as many fairy tales are, a meta story. It's not just about the baker's daughter. It is about us. So what drives our expectations? Well, expectations are driven by all kinds of things. Personality, training, desire, motivation. But we don't have to guess too much since the story here is clear about stinginess. It is about a vice. The vice is playing a major role here. Stinginess is about a lack of generosity. It's about withholding. And whatever happens in front of the eyes of the baker's daughter contradicts her entire posture towards reality. At every moment, her withholding posture is met by generosity and abundance. Hopefully, you are feeling a sense that we are getting closer to naming the pattern. At last, when the baker's daughter is turned into an owl, we have a resolution to the story, or maybe we can ask the question, how does this final transformation echo and differ from the previous transformations? What does this have to do with the baker's daughter's stinginess? At last, we arrive at an answer that links all of this together. There are many ways of saying this, so here are just a few. What you seek in the world, you will end up getting. More simply, what you look for, you will find. Or when you place unfair limits on reality, you impose those same limits on yourself. Or a lack of generosity towards others amounts to diminishing yourself. Or a greedy mind is a closed mind. Or to be greedy is to miss the obvious. Or stinginess lessens. It makes you less than what you are and it makes the world less than what it is. Or taking the owl at the end as a symbol of wisdom rather than just of diminished being, you might say, wisdom always arrives too late. All of these ways of stating the insight are consistent with the meaning of the story and they don't contradict the content. 
That's when you know that the interpretation is fairly solid. Now, maybe none of this strikes you as particularly deep or insightful. Well, imagine there is someone who is miserly just like this baker's daughter. You can imagine, I'm sure, what it might be like when a person like that ends up constantly diminished, constantly feeling beaten down by the world and closed to its possibilities. Now, imagine that they are the ones having the insight. What you look for, you will find. And they suddenly realize that what they see in the world is because of who they are. And they recognize that they are not victims of the world as much as they are victims of their own perceptions. That would be a pretty powerful insight, right? There is another way of noticing that we've named an insight well. It ties everything together without feeling like it's been forced on the thing we're considering. This is what we're aiming for. Unity, consistency, a key to understanding the whole that doesn't result in leaving out important details. This is what an insight is all about. As I've already said, insight is creativity's foundation, but we still need to look a little deeper at how meaning itself is made because I think this will help us to further understand not just insight, but coming up with creative ideas. So it's the subject of how we make meaning that I'm going to look at in the third podcast in this series. There I will also begin to discuss another vital aspect of creativity, namely making interesting decisions.